When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times and Daniel Storey of Football 365. First, the good news. Man United's share price rose 2% on Monday. The club's worth four and a quarter billion pounds. On Tuesday, they launched yet another new kit. Now the bad news. United can't defend. They play without pace and purpose. Jose Mourinho is in denial demanding respect. Dare they sack him? Will they? Should they? Over you, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> Big questions. You forgot to mention they got lots of tweets as well on Monday night and they, they, they measure the Twitter metrics, so things must have been really good in that game. Good old social media penetration. Yeah, yeah really lots of hits, Josie. Keep doing that thing that you do when you lose and then storm out of the press conference. Should they sack him might be the easier one to deal with first. I mean, on the one hand, it's absurd a big club sacking a manager after three games. But I think there's been a fundamental shift or rift in the summer where Edward Wood has belatedly decided that the club want to go in one direction, and that's um, developing players and growing a team and signing younger targets and, and all that kind of stuff. We know that because he's told journalists that. And Josie wanted to do his standard thing of you know, throwing money at established, proven guys that he could trust. Now... Before we even get to the football, the, the minute that chief executive decides to go one way and manager wants to go the other way, you've got a huge problem. And then there's a backdrop of Josie's first two seasons I don't think have been good enough, even though they finished second last year. I think they were miles from being what Manchester United should be in terms of style of play, in terms of, of actually just doing as well as they could have done with the resources at their, at their disposal. And then you look at the start of the season where... He's played three different defences. None of them are good enough. His marquee signing looks pretty average to me, Fred. And they've had the worst start since 1992. But going back to the, whether he should go or not, I just don't see how he can stay. If they want to go in one direction, it hasn't been working anyway. He wants to go in another. What, what's the point of keeping him? Mm, yeah, he talked a lot about respect. I thought the most damning thing from that, quite frankly, bizarre melodrama after the game was him basically admitting, I don't know what my best back four is. Now, that isn't, that's the basic management. Yeah, and it's, it's something that would be unsurprising to hear from Mourinho at the end of a season with a, with a transfer window about to open yeah. and a, a hopefully blank checkbook for him to go out and spend with. Um, but three games into a new season with, with the transfer window closed, it, it must be the last thing that Manchester United want to hear. To my mind, what made Mourinho special was a number of factors. 
not least of which was the siege mentality created around the clubs at the best of times and also in adversity. That seems to have gone. The ability to resolve under pressure seems to have gone. The defensive resilience seems mm. to have gone. Mourinho has defended his, his attacking record in the past, particularly pointing to that Real Madrid season, but that seems to be lost. There doesn't seem to be any USP with him anymore. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be everything that made him special doesn't seem to be there anymore. And he's pushing this almost a fake news agenda. You know, our supporters are too intelligent to read the newspapers and watch TV. Well, I'm sorry, that doesn't wash anymore, does it? Of course not. And, and that, I mean, that is something I suppose he still is good at mm. and he's done throughout his career. He's good at shifting the agenda in troubled times to, to make us not quite look at the, the thing that we should be looking at, which is how awful it actually is on the pitch. So after the defeat at Tottenham, he... he preaches about the, the fans being behind him. He gets us talking about events at the end. He gets a camera looking at him applauding the, the, the Stratford end. He walks out of his press conference. What was left of the Stratford What was end. left, yeah, exactly. And, and then he walks out of his press conference and he gets us talking about that. That's fine. That's a good trick. But we should really be looking at what's been happening on the pitch. And as, as Dan said, yeah, the, the things that made Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, haven't seen at Manchester United. I think he could go somewhere else and be Jose Mourinho again, but the fit has not been right from the start. And as I said before, it getting, they're getting further apart, not closer apart, than in terms of what the club want and what he provides. What it does do is makes a mockery of the new contract, yeah. doesn't it? Because if, if this was being played with Mourinho having a year left on his original deal, we might say, well, there's an inevitable breaking of ways here. But actually, there's not an easy split because Manchester United will, will want to guard against paying a, a huge payoff <clears> and Mourinho will will not want to walk away because he won't want to walk... A, he won't want to walk away from a payoff, and also he won't want to walk away as a failure. But to take your point, you know, you, you said you think he could do it again at another club. Yeah. But which club of appropriate stature would he be able to do so? Who, you know, is he damaged goods? Is the brand a bit too toxic? It might be in England. Perhaps football tastes have moved on that mean that it's not all about winning anymore. So it, it's hard for fans to perhaps appreciate or stomach or however you want to put it, the football in this day and age when other people are entertaining so much and there's such a positive sort of sheen to the game. But at a club that would just accept results and, and what he does, what he builds, may, and he might have to go back to Italy, different style of football. I could see him doing it again. I mean, I, I thought what he would do at Manchester United, and I thought it would happen this summer, is having earned a, a sort of mandate by winning them something quickly, which he did in his first season, I thought he would build a Mourinho team, which would, which would be very powerful. It would be founded on a very good defence and it would grind. And that might be an antidote to Klopp and, and Guardiola. And he hasn't done that. And, and whether he's lost his imagination in terms of transfers, because the transfers have been really bad, I think, whether he doesn't feel empowered to do that, he feels he still has to attack and entertain a little bit, I don't know. But I, I thought this summer he would go bang, 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 two or three signings, two defenders, maybe a strong central midfielder, and we'd finally see a Jose Mourinho team. And, you know, he, he signed Fred and that was it. Mm. Is there an irony, Daniel, that you know, Mourinho's a manager who's not exactly fond of parking the bus, but he's no stranger <laughs> to doing so. Mm. Have the players decided to throw him under the bus? I don't think it's necessarily as cut and dry as that. I don't. I think these things rarely are. Mm. Um, I think we often say, oh, the players have stopped playing for a manager. I don't actually think... That probably doesn't really reflect the reality. I think what, what actually happens is that players gradually become demotivated by the style of play and the man management. And, and that drop of 
maybe five, six, seven percent, mm. not just against Tottenham, but against teams like Brighton, that makes a huge difference. Mm. You know, teams exploit those weaknesses. Um, I think the greatest difference, to my mind, between him and, let's say, Mauricio Pochettino or Jurgen Klopp is the ability to keep fringe players motivated. Yeah. Because at Manchester United, there, there are currently seven or eight players in that team who would consider that even if they play badly for four or five weeks, are probably not going to get dropped. And if they do get dropped, they can back themselves to come in pretty quickly because the person behind them in the queue also won't perform. What that ends in is a regularly changing cast of players, none of which who are motivated to compete at top level. And that's what we're seeing at the moment. Players bombed out after two games, two more in. Jones and Smalling played badly last night. Maybe they go out again for the next yeah. game. And you just have this constant evolving cast that leads mm. to absolutely no stability whatsoever. And I mean, a sign of a manager's relationship with players is development. You know, how he's able to get inside their heads, press the right buttons, all those cliches, and, and, and do that thing that, that helps them improve. And we haven't seen any improvement in, I, I would suggest, in any player at Manchester United under Jose Mourinho. And it was Essentially, Ashley Young, maybe. Yeah, OK. Yeah, no, fair enough. I'd give you Ashley Young. Um, you could argue De Gea's just improved anyway, organically. But Tottenham was the, the wrong team to play against moaning about transfers because obviously that's a team that, that has been developed by Pochettino, hasn't even signed a player in the summer and got a stellar performance out of Lucas Moura, who Pochettino was very patient with, has patently had a development plan for, as Dan said, has kept motivated when he was out of the team and is now bringing him in at the right time. And Mourinho had, or has, five or six really top-class young talents. You know, Rashford, Pogba, Bailly arrived as a good young talent, mm. Luke Shaw, Martial. Have any of them got any better? And that's part of management. Mm. Well, also, management is about almost understanding the human condition, isn't yeah. it? So if you look at a Luke Shaw, it's all very well for Mourinho last night to go and put his arm around him. But he's basically been systematically denigrating him over a, a period of time. Equally, you look at Pochettino, and are you seeing the difference between modern, a modern, empathetic manager and someone like Mourinho, who's basically command and control? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the the kind of sergeant major model of football management is. You know, it's archaic now, really. I think Mourinho probably would consider that he stands with a foot in both camps. I think certainly when he initially came to England, some of the things he was doing were, were fresh and felt very modern. But over time, exactly as has happened to Arsene Wenger, people caught up with those models and they, they saw what Mourinho was about and they replicated that model and they learned to deal with it. And you have to adapt and you have to change. And if there's one criticism of Mourinho throughout his career, it's stubbornness and it's an mm. unwillingness to change what he considers to be the best approach. And and yeah, I agree. I think players like Luke Shaw will say, well, thanks for the compliment. But mm. when you were saying I wasn't a professional nine months ago, when you were saying I didn't have the personality or class to be a Manchester United player six months ago, what's changed, you know? And I don't see an easy fix for that. I don't see that, there's, that Mourinho is going to be able to style this one out. There's going to have to be wholesale changes to change the mood in that squad. There's obviously going to be a spout of speculation now about, well, if Mourinho does go, who goes in? Pochettino's name will be at the top of the list, I suspect. Mm. How important was that win for him? And can you summarise, please, Johnny, what you perceive to be his great strengths as a manager? Well, we've talked about a lot of them in terms of what, what Mourinho lacks. Now, Mourinho has got something he doesn't, which is trophies on the CV. But if you're talking about empathetic modern managers, I think he's right at the top. I think far more so even than Guardiola and Klopp, who, who get the reputation. But when you talk to players, I think they're a little bit more authoritarian than the public image suggests. 
Whereas Pochettino, what, what, what strikes me is you see it in the body language, you hear it when, when players talk about him. It is something quite special. I think he's able to develop with footballers, particularly young footballers. Uh, I think a kind of feeling that, that he's completely got their back, that he's got a plan for them, that he's very open, that they can have a dialogue with them. Not that he will lay down things to them. He's, he's very strong, but they can have a dialogue and that he cares about them as human beings. And I think we've seen that in so many cases of players who've developed. On top of that, you know, his teams play with incredible uh, fitness. He's obviously a modern pressing manager, but quite structured at the back. There's a lot of ingredients. I think maybe what's lacking, and maybe it comes from that closeness to the players, I think sometimes he's, he's not quite demanding enough of them. So last year when they failed to win the FA Cup, I thought that's maybe the moment to get a bit Mourinho with them and just let them know that there is something extra required than just trying hard and being a nice team. But he's still a young manager, still developing, and he builds clubs. That's what Manchester United need at the moment. They haven't had anyone to provide them someone that takes care of the culture of a club, that takes care of the whole thing. That's what Pochettino gives you. And he's very, sort of, I guess, very modern in, in that respect. Mm. With Pochettino, you know, you mentioned Lucas Mura. Now, that's something, you know, was, here's someone that you thought, wow, you know, is a bargain. Do you see him fitting into that role, almost like, you know, alongside Kane? It certainly worked very well mm. last night. He's a strange one, Maureen, that when players come to Tottenham, Pochettino's biggest failing, and it's, it might be an inevitability rather than a criticism of him, is that because he has such a close-knit first team, players that they've brought as fringe players mm. have struggled to break into that team and have therefore kind of fallen by the wayside. You know, there's, there's numerous examples, but just the replacements for Harry or the backups to Harry Kane, two or three there that just haven't worked out. Moore is slightly different in that he already came from an elite club mm. where he wasn't guaranteed first choice. He played 45 games a season for PSG over the three years previously. So 25 million seemed like a kind of no-brainer yeah. for a 25-year-old. But he was already used to battling for first-team minutes. And if Youngmin Son had not had the Asian Games, he might still be battling mm -hmm. for minutes. But what he has done... He's battling uh, to stay at the army, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right, yeah. Well, he might be battling to stay in the Tottenham team as well, I think, at the moment, because more offers... He doesn't offer the industry of Youngmin Son. He doesn't offer that chasing hard work, which Pochettino makes all players, makes, made Christian Eriksen learn, mm. who's the most creative player there. But his driving runs last night scared Manchester United. He does what um, I think players like Raheem Sterling and Jesse Lingard as well last night struggled to do, which is focus themselves to run directly at defenders. And that's so scary yeah. for a central defender. And Smalling last night was just, I mean, he was humbled by mm. it. Mm. I think he does what, what they've always wanted Eric Lamella to do and has never quite been able to produce mm. for Tottenham. I think he does exactly that role. Mm. You're speaking of central defenders, uh, Toby Alderweireld. Yeah. We'll probably never get to the bottom of quite why he didn't play, but you know, it's obviously got something to do with the contract negotiations. He looked outstanding, I thought. He did, and if we're talking about man management, I mean, what a bit of man management that is, to bring him in for that game, given the pressure and spotlight that's going to be on him, given he's been out of the team and has probably been, well, definitely been unhappy about it, and he's gone up against the team that he, he thought he might be going to, to get his head right and actually to turn all of that into a driving force that, that, that produced a great performance from him is, is great management. But we did, did see that he's one of the best, if not the best, in the league. Pochettino talked at the start of the summer about demanding Tottenham to mm. be brave. And I think we all assume that he meant transfers, and he might well have done, mm. I think, to an extent. But I think he also meant breaking the wage structure for Kane yeah. and backing the manager on 
on Alderweireld, we're not going to sell you whatever. You're going to stay. If we lose you for 25 million next season, so be it. But you'll be staying here because we consider you the best defender in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. um, they did that. He's now been brought back into the fold and he's arguably, Pochettino will think, going to finish above Manchester United this season. Also, the, you know, the broader issue, let's look at the Premier League. I thought some of the passages in that game were frankly poor, you know, the, the Tottenham game, in terms of loss of possession, yeah. poor decision-making. How far are Spurs away from what is now acknowledged as the top two, City and Liverpool? That is difficult because I don't think they reach the heights that those clubs are capable of. But I think you've got to respect the consistency. And when I say they don't reach the heights, they're not far behind it at their best. But they, they look, the consistency of performance from Spurs has been there for three years now. Even even though you know, Moura does give them something extra, you can't quite see them having enough compared to particularly Man City. But I think Liverpool have got lots of options now to get through a long season and, and keep finding solutions to win games. I don't think they're going to do it quite as regularly as the other two. But in terms of what they extract from what they've got, I think they are the equal. You know, they, they get they get 100% or close to it out of their resources, which I think puts them up there. I, I can't see them winning the league. I still don't think they've got enough for that. But I think they're going to be another top three season. They, this should be the time that Spurs are at their best, in the yeah. best on the base that they they have brought no players. Pochettino insists cohesion can be an answer, while everyone else is trying to fit these new yeah. players into the team. This is probably the time where Spurs should flourish. Yeah. When they're combining Champions League football again, I think they're lacking a, a central midfielder with Van Yama yeah. injured. Looks again the same injuries he had last season, so that could be two or three months. I think they're pretty light there. Yeah. Dembele and Dyer uh, weren't on it in the first half last night. And if that's their first choice combination, that yeah. slightly worries me. But yeah, they obviously need, they need to bottle lightning if they're going to win a league title, don't they? Every, yeah. every player needs to stay fit. Every player needs to be on their A game. Um, there needs to be no, none of the issues of previous seasons about players engineering moves mm. before transfer windows. That's probably not going to happen. But even top four would be overachievement for Tottenham this season, considering the resources. If you look at Liverpool, was that 1-0 win over Brighton significant in its scruffiness, if you like. Yeah. I think we've seen a slightly different Liverpool so far and, and um, maybe all the better for it if, if you're talking about a title race. And it wasn't fabulous entertainment, but it was terrific in terms of Gomez and Van Dijk, Alisson, his goalkeeping performance and the, 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 the sort of authority and calmness he brings. James Milner as a sort of regenerated force in, in midfield. You could feast on that, you could enjoy that, and if you're, if you're a Liverpool fan, that would take you back to what was the foundation of many a great Liverpool team in the past. And you know that there's going to be other days when Salah and Mane and Firmino and the rest of them are going to be on their A-game and entertain you. I think it's really encouraging to see that type of win for Liverpool. Mm. And Wijnaldum is playing yeah. exceptionally well, isn't he? Yeah, and this is, again, to go back to Jose Mourinho, it's what we were talking about, fringe players. Mm. Fabinho's been signed this summer, Van Alden can only have been disappointed by that, as every, anyone would be in any line of industry when someone is brought in as a pretty obvious replacement for a very similar role than you do. Mm. But Klopp has, has enforced a meritocracy. He said to Van Alden, if you can show me that you belong in this team, then you'll stay in this team. And that's how you, mm. that's how you get better at, more out of players. And yeah, I think he misplaced one pass on, yeah. on Saturday evening. And he, yeah, he's- out of 78. Yeah. I, I, I was up there a couple of weeks ago and we were trying to get Klopp to, to wax about Naby Keita. 
And he kind of upbraided us because he, he said, yeah, great, okay, Nabi is good. He said, but you, you're excited about him because he's new. He said, what about when Alden, he does the same, and you haven't written about him for two years. And he said, what about James Milner? That's the kind of thing that players love to hear. But it's, it's true, it's, it's authentic. He's got such belief in, in the guys he has around him, and they know that, and, and, and he projects it. And he's showing the same sort of tough love to Fabinho. He's basically saying, OK, you're a new, expensive signings. There's no easy passage for you into my football team. That's a great message in, in all sorts of ways. Great for the rest of the squad to see that. You can actually say, argue that he's, he's been pretty tough with Jordan Henderson, who, through no fault of his own, is, is now out of the team. But there's no red carpet to welcome him back. It is a meritocracy. What, what you, I will expect him to do with Fabinho, if you're looking at what he did with Oxley chamberlain is once he, he does start to get on the pitch, stick with him, because... Oxley chamberlain had that period of adjusting. But then his first performances weren't actually that good, and Klopp was looking at what, what he saw in training. You're ready now. But he didn't expect to see it straight away on the pitch. He, he again gave him a little bit of time, even once he was actually in, on, on the pitch, to adjust. And that, that's, that's brave management, actually. Mm, they're at Leicester on Saturday. Is that the sort of test that will actually show us a little bit more about Liverpool? Yeah, I think it mm. is. Leicester's tails are up. They will consider themselves still with this underdog tag that these are exactly the sort of teams that they like upsetting. They will be without Jamie Vardy, which is a huge loss. And he um, terrifies Liverpool traditionally. Exactly right, yeah. He's obviously scored that. I think it was a goal of the season, wasn't it? There. But actually, you look at the games like this now and you don't fear for Liverpool. You don't think, well, someone will rattle them or someone will get under their skin. All change. We're looking at games and saying, well, how are teams going to combat Liverpool? How are Liverpool going to set up this time? How are Liverpool going to imprint themselves on the game, away or at home? And I know it was Brighton at home rather than and Manchester United were away at them, but it was the complete opposite. It was a complete mirrored performance of, we, we, you are going to have to deal with us. We're not going to be scared of you anymore. And I expect them to win there because their tails are up and... They believe in the system, they believe in the manager and they believe in one another. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not rocket science. He's been allowed to spend money, but he's spent money very wisely. And, mm. and more importantly than that, he's blending those players into the team wisely. Talking of almost like football being a state of mind, what did you make of Wolves' approach to Manchester City and compare and contrast that to Newcastle's approach to Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I was I, I was at Molyneux. I absolutely loved it. I, I've always loved going to Molyneux anyway. It's one of the great football grounds. Oh, isn't it? one of the great grounds, and and it was in full flow. But I, I loved the approach. I, I I loved the execution as well because they really committed to the high press. They continued to play that way even when Man City had some great passages of play, and and Wolves weren't frightened at all. Uh, they've actually got, they've got some real talent on the pitch. And I wonder if it, it'll be a way that, you know, we've seen Liverpool do it to Manchester City. We haven't really seen a so-called smaller team attempt it. Wolves do have this incredible midfield, which isn't really a smaller team's midfield. It's a mm. top-class midfield. So, so that helps if you're going to win the ball back and you've got Moutinho and Neves to, to then pick the pass. That, that, that's going to help you on the counter-attack. But in terms of ambition and sort of fearlessness, I think other teams could learn from that. With Newcastle, while I'm a huge fan of... Rafa Benitez, and I think he's, he, he is a master of the defensive setup. I, I, I think in Newcastle you're playing at St James's Park. I think you've got to do a little bit more than 19% possession and, and, and sitting in. Because Chelsea, who've been brilliant at times under Sarri, are also a work in progress. And they've been pretty flawed at times as well. And I would have expected Rafa to have 
a few ideas of how to pick those little holes that are still mm. there. Because that's, yeah, to take that point, there are quite a few teams that are works in progress, you know, around mm. the league. Let's, let's take a look at one which probably will be a two-season job, if you like, would be Arsenal. Mm. Initial impressions of Emery and the nature of the job that he's got to do. My initial impression is, and I'm glad he's doing it, is that he's not going to go in and, and pander to anyone. He's going to go into that mm. job with a strength of personality and a conviction that says, it wasn't working before and I haven't made seven or eight transfers in the summer, therefore you are going to have to change to meet me because the passiveness in big games, the lack of reaction to adversity, that has to change or Arsenal won't, won't change. It doesn't matter who's the manager. He's clearly going to demand more of the attacking players in terms of pressing and whoever that upsets and whoever that affects may mm. well become damaged and hampered and moved out of the club on that. And there will be no pandering to reputation. Mesut Ozil mm. is the obvious example. I don't buy into this idea that Mesut Ozil is, is, is a lazy footballer. I just think he's a, he's a pure creator but that isn't going to be enough anymore mm. because as a luxury item in a, in a high-class team, I think Mesut Ozil works. As a luxury item in a team that is sixth in the Premier League, I don't think it does work mm. because I don't think he gets enough time on the ball and I don't think the people around him can cover enough. On the opening weekend, he was played on the right-hand side of midfield and asked to trap yeah. Benjamin Mendy back yeah. uh, and actually <laughs> did so OK, but clearly is not his natural habitat. And Aaron Ramsey played as a number 10. Mm. And then he against Chelsea, he was asked to, to press and it didn't work. And the reaction is that Mesut Ozil in, in the team the next week, for whatever reason. But there will be no pandering to him or Aaron Ramsey or Alexandra Lacazette or Janet Jacker or anyone, I don't think. Yeah. And, and that's good. I think that's a good thing. Mm. Yeah. Of the Ramsey situation, there are echoes of the Ozil situation, isn't there, in terms of, you know, he wants a long-term contract, mm. he wants a lot of money. I know we might be being a bit wise after the event, but there's certainly the, the talk around was that Wenger was against giving Ozil that sort of contract. Mm and therefore political influence, if you like. <laughs> what are they going to do with Ramsey? Because he's an important yeah. player for them. Will they come to a deal, do you think? I mean, that goes in the file of strange pieces of Arsenal contract behaviour, because that, that's been there for a year, if not 18 months, that Ramsey situation. And given how important he's been over the years, and given that that generation of young British players that they tried to bring through, they told us was going to be the heart of the team, and they've all gone except for Ramsey. So you'd think that they, that they would see his significance and, and see his importance and, and want to keep him on that basis. But it is Arsenal. They, they behave in their own sort of sweet way sometimes. I think he is part of what we've been talking about that, that Emery's trying to sort out. I think there's, I think the big, one of the biggest issues for Arsenal over the last few years has been there are too many players who are irresponsible off the ball or not fully switched on, if you want to put it in a slightly kinder way. Arsenal's one of them, but Granit Xhaka's another. Mm. Hector Bellerin's another one. The strikers, maybe it's Lacazette's quite industrious, but it's not really Aubameyang's game. You've got Mkhitaryan. Now, Aaron Ramsey's developed in a sort of very arsenal -y way where he's become more of a flitter-abouter and, you know, I'm not sure what his work ethic is sometimes as well. And I think he was, he's, he's got it in his locker to actually be a, a sort of proper modern number eight, but he's never really been developed no, that way. Also, not really at the moment with that Emery system playing a number eight in that no. they're playing two defensive midfielders, which they need, mm. frankly, because neither of them is good enough to do the job on their own. Why isn't Torreira starting them? I think similarly with Fabinho, after a World Cup in a new country, at a new mm. club, who already have a new manager who's trying to get to know the players, it made some sense yeah. to give him a little break. 
that said, he picked a 19-year-old who was playing one of his first ever top-flight matches and has mm. played almost every minute. So he clearly thrown Guendouzi in at the deep end. I think Torreira will eventually become a, mm. a guaranteed starter, whether it's instead of Granit Xhaka or, or Guendouzi remains to be seen. And at the moment, you'd pick the young lad you because, would, you would. because Granit Xhaka has offered no progress since he joined the club. Um, but th there is no natural fit for Aaron Ramsey in the team at the moment no. because he plays as a number 10 yeah. against Manchester City and that didn't really work. He can't really play as one of the two central midfielders, no. I don't think, because he likes to move further forward. And that ends up him being farmed left yeah. or right. And He needs a three, doesn't he? He does, he yeah. does. He needs, he needs a Liverpool's formation, mm. basically. And the, the danger, I think, is that he's getting a little bit lost yeah. now. Um, he's kind of drifting, as, as you say, as yeah. every Arsenal player tends to do. <laughs> <laughs> We were talking earlier on about Pochettino and maybe Manchester United. Do you think Eddie Howe is in good position to get a bigger job? Yeah, I, I, when I, I said at the time that Arsenal should look at him, and I don't want to go down the route of... I know there's a sort of breed of journalist or pundit or whatever that we've got to give British managers a chance, it's got to be all about British. It's not, it's not about that. It's the fact that you've got a young manager who has excelled in the competition that you're playing in, who's punched way above his his weight in terms of, of achievement. I think in any other country, in the Bundesliga, Bayern have just given Kovac a job, done less for me, apart from having a big name, than, than Eddie Howe did and, and has done in the Premier League. But they've done it on the basis that he served his time. He's done quite well in the Bundesliga. It happens in Italy. So that's how sad he got his job. I know he wasn't young, but young in terms of in Korea. Other countries will promote from within. It's only the Premier League that feels it needs to go a bit more exotic, for want of a better way of putting it. And I think Eddie Howe, like Sean Dyche, but maybe he's he, fit, he fits the, the template more for a team like Arsenal, I think he, he would have been a good choice for them. Builds a club. I mean, Emery's fine, but I think Eddie Howe would have, would have had more long-term value for them. Mm, yeah, Johnny mentioned Sean Dyche. Mm. They've got Manchester United at Turf Moor on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Do they need to get out of the Europa League? Yeah, I think they do, sadly, which is a horribly <laughs> damning and miserly thing to say. But, yeah, I, in terms of their Premier League status, they might do. The Euro qualifying for the Europa League was no problem. Um, qualifying for the Europa League in mid to late July and not buying many players until the final day of the window and even then not buying many players at all could harm Burnley. Mm. I think they can play... If they qualify for the Europa League group stage, I think they play 26 games before Christmas, wow. um, which... In a team that traditionally falls away at the end of the season because of simply because they run out of energy, having guaranteed survival, albeit they did that very early last season, that could be an issue. And we've seen in the Premier League before that while rises are, you know, you can get a lot of momentum while moving up the table, you can also fall down the table very quickly. Mm. Um, they've been pretty rotten at the back in their first few games. And yeah, I, I think they probably will be eliminated by Olympiacos, which although will be an initially, you know, it'll be a disappointing thing for supporters that, that want to travel Europe and see the team. In the long run, I think it probably is for the best. Teams have had good starts. Watford, three wins on the bounce. It's still a strange team in as much as that name a player. You know, know. Pereira obviously has done He's very well. He's been there well. for two years, though, suddenly, you know, suddenly yeah, still there. Um, you know, Will Hughes has yeah. just reappeared almost. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, and we can sort of say the managers, it's always hard to make sense of the managers and... and I think I might have missed something about Garcia because he's doing a lot better and being a bit bolder than I thought he was as a coach. I think one thing they are doing, which is interesting, is that they're playing quite a traditional way. They're playing with two quite powerful strikers, strike partnership, mm. which, you know, given that football's changed and everyone's used to facing just 
one striker and, and, and we've got three at the back for a lot of teams. Mm. To suddenly be presented with two strikers in that traditional way is posing a new set of problems for teams. And maybe it's caught, maybe it's caught teams out. So it's interesting what, what Gracia has done. Um, there is a bit of an evolution at Watford as well in that we, we kind of associate them with these, not journeyman players, mm. but kind of players that don't seem to fit any system. Last season, they bought five players aged 22 or under, and this summer, they, they bought six players. I think 24 was the mm. oldest outfielder. So I think they probably are trying to yeah. engineer this younger spirit that moves through the club, which I think is probably what Marco Silva was appointed to do and what he will try and do at Everton. The, the question is the managers. I mean, I think A.D. Boothroy is the last one to reach 100 games, and that was 2008. Right. Mm. So but It's interesting. I, I, I did something uh, on Watford for... My new book, mm. plug, plug. But um, I thought that was really interesting because I gave them the chance to actually explain the system yeah. and, mm. and, and the strategy. And their feeling is that, look, it's just a reflection of modern football. We know that a manager coming into our club, if he doesn't do it, he goes. Mm -hmm. If he does do it, he goes to a bigger club within two years because that's the life cycle of the modern manager. Do you get that? I do. They've decided football's all about recruitment and that's, that's not a bad way to look at it. They have 35 scouts. Yeah. three of whom are devoted entirely to scouting coaches and managers. Yeah. If you can bring in the next one, then it's fine. To be fair to them, they've done pretty well. Even old Mazzari was competent. You know, it wasn't popular, but he, he did a competent job. So as long as they can keep picking them, and those scouts have done their, have earned their money so far. Mm. And the players, you know, they, they, they do sign talented players. They sign physically appropriate players as well for Premier League, always powerful and quick and, and all that sort of stuff. And decent talents so they've got it right and if the fans don't mind the, the kind of soap up and the lack of identity sometimes because as we say mm. sometimes you turn up and mm. you don't know what's going to be on the team sheet if, they, if they're happy or if you get an identity through all that flux which is maybe what they're going for that's fine it feels like a sort of supercharged version of the Southampton model doesn't it in that Southampton feel like they're doing it with almost like holistic yeah. intentions whereas Watford are doing it with very practical and pragmatic intentions if we think this will work really well and we are prepared to go to the extremes of that model to make it work and they're doing it better than Southampton are at the are. moment. I want to bring in some of the questions from the listeners and the viewers but before I do so just a very quick look forward Gareth Southgate's naming his England mm. team on Thursday talk about Declan Rice from West Ham what do you make of that? It makes me uncomfortable instinctively because it's it, Played three times the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, it's not like the Grealish or the McTominay situation for me, where Scott McTominay, that was right at the outset of his international career, he was given the choice. I know Grealish had played for the under-21s, but he hadn't played senior football, and again he was right at the outset. Whereas Declan Rice has had, what, a year, 18 months mm. of being around the Irish senior setup, played three times, and it, it does look a bit cynical. It looks like they've just got in his ear and tried to maybe capitalise on good summer and come and play for England that's darts and everything it's great um, <laughs> so uh, yeah it, it, always uh, beat the heck don't <laughs> it? <laughs> it doesn't sit right it doesn't sit right for me I have to say mm. um, I don't particularly like it but he is a good player He's good. I can see why they want him as a talent mm. right some of the questions foreshadowed Russ Merlis if Liverpool are City's biggest rivals what do you think will be the issue that decides where the Premier League is won well, I think the, the biggest test of Liverpool will come when one of Mohamed Salah or Roberto Firmino pick up any sort mm. of lengthy injury. And they started, I think, 37 and 36 league games last season. 
And for all Sadio Mane's excellence, I don't think it's particularly contentious to say that he's the one you'd look at and say was, was the most replaceable mm. within that front three. Jordan Takiri comes in, for example, or, or even moving one of the midfielders up into a wide forward role. But Salah's instinctive brilliance, at some point Liverpool will not keep a clean sheet and will concede goals and they will rely on Firmino's teamwork with the other two and Salah's individual brilliance. So if one of those picks up a lengthy injury, then, then I think so. But, but one thing they have done is they've already combined Champions League football with Premier League football, which is not something we mm -hmm. expect from a, a new title challenger. In recent years, title challenges have come from sixth or below rather than third or second. So they have already answered those doubts, which is the typical one. Taku asks, which Premier League team do you think will go furthest in the Champions League? I think Manchester City this time. And actually, slightly related to the previous question, that might also have an impact on the, on the title race. That mm. might be a good hope for Liverpool if, if City can go deep, as they, as they say in modern parlance. But I do expect them to. They weren't really very far away last year. You know, there's that extraordinary doubleheader, particularly the game at Anfield. But I know it was 5-1, but it was a lot closer than that. And, and Liverpool have got the special thing over City. If the draw's a little bit different, I could see them going there. And I don't think the other big teams in Europe are outstanding at the moment. I think there's a, there's an opportunity for an English winner again, mm. with maybe Real Madrid's cycle ending and Barcelona not quite being cohesive yet. For me, so yeah, I think City. This could be the year. Club in exile with Chelsea. Adam Wakefield, what are your thoughts of Sarri employing Kante in a more advanced role? He's known in the Premier League as the destroyer. What else does he have that we haven't seen in greater detail? Well, in this box-to-box -box role, he's got a huge amount of energy. Yeah. We know that. He makes a, a large number of tackles and interceptions, and I don't particularly expect that to stop. He'll just do that in a further up the pitch and Jorginho will sit. The only worry, I think, is whether Chelsea lose any solidity defensively. If, if they're going to pick a two rather than a three and one of them is going to be David Luiz, who is a, a ball-playing central defender rather than a tackling central defender. And Jorginho is not a tackler, he's a passer. He's a very different player. Mm. We saw Sarri's Napoli against the games against Manchester City and against Juventus. Those games were very open, more open than Antonio Conte would ever have wanted with, with Kante as a, mm. a defensive midfielder. And against Arsenal, it was chaos mm. for was. half an hour. Um, so I think that's the only question with it. But they've clearly been working on it all summer. Mm. It, the role doesn't seem to be surprising to Kante. There doesn't seem to be a need to get used to it. He seems mm. to be very comfortable in the role. I mean, in, I mean, in that Leicester title-winning team, he, he, he did actually... You know, Danny Drinkwater was one that kind of sat there that's why there was a cliche. He's sitting there now, isn't he? Yeah, well, yeah, he's, he's, he's good at sitting there. <laughs> and that's why there was a cliche about Kante being two players because he, he he was able to destroy, but also he was the link that he he got them up to the pitch. He was the one that was often feeding Mares on the on the counter attack. So he's a really intelligent footballer. I think that that to me is what always strikes me is that the football intelligence there, mm. and and it's difficult to adapt at 27, 28, but I think he's got it in his upstairs to do it. There's an an inevitability about ending where we began on this <laughs> on a day like this. Paul Fry, fans of football's biggest brand don't read papers or watch TV, says Jose. So should United sack their PR department <laughs> as they're clearly wasting their time? I, I know, Paul, that's a clever question. Um, well, do they have a PR department? Anyone that's ever tried to get an interview at Man United might, <laughs> might question that. So, I mean, just the final thing on Jose... Looking at Fred, right, compare him with Naby Keita, compare him with Jorginho, who we've just been speaking about. 
plays in the same position, but at different clubs. Fred's nowhere near as good as them. Where, where are Manchester United going? What are they doing there? The big thing they've done this summer, they've signed Fred. They signed a guy that's not as good in his position as something that their two main rivals have already signed. It's before we even get to Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva. I think there's a clear rethink needed at the club. This is the opportunity to do it. Perhaps a director of football comes in, should come in. I think they need a clear refocus. Where do we want to get to? Who do we recruit to get there? If at the end of that they decide Jose Mourinho is still the man, then give Jose what he wants, which goes back to what I was saying about the rift at the start. Mm. They have to, and this goes, this, so this is Fred Woodward and, and the board. They have to decide what they're going to do, what they want to be. Do you think he'll be there by Christmas? I don't think he'll be there at the end of the season. I think he has started a process of, of engineering his own exit, that he is a strategy that he has done at previous clubs and he knows precisely what he's doing. And, and I think he does have valid points about the lack of recruitment yeah. over yeah, the yeah. summer, but he doesn't have the answers, unfortunately, to the questions about his own role in the mess. And until he accepts his own role in that mess, it's very difficult to see how he improves that because until he recognises his own faults, which is his, his Achilles heel, it's hard to see how the players buy into yeah. it. Mm. Well, respect is a two-way street. Sorry, Jose, this won't end well. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.